father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? What's lightsabers precious Dekozaimasu? English, please! Hey! And welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious, made right here in the U.S. of A. Well, that's enough weeb stuff. Yep. Alright, so, hi Ryan, how's it going today? Well, you started with formalities this time. Yes, it's great. Thank you. How are well, you? Well, no, you got mad at me last time because I didn't ask how you are. That's fine. So yeah. this time I have to pretend I, I care. <sighs> <laughs> well, do you want me to jump right into Lord of the Rings news? Because uh, I have been researching something very interesting this morning. Okay. What's that? Real life hobbit holes. Who, what? Yeah, so across the world, there have been people, especially over the past few years, who have created their own homes inspired by hobbit houses. And these kind of range... In price and luxury from about $5,000 for kind of a little check to $700,000 for like a luxury hobbit hole mansion. Here's the thing that bothers me. Okay. Let me start with like the cheapest one. Okay. All right. So there's this one for $5,000 that was built by a guy called Simon Dale. It's decently sized. It has a living room, it has a kitchen, it has a bedroom, but they're all sort of carved out of one giant round space. Okay. It's not like there's tunnels with different rooms cascading down a hillside or anything sure. like that. So it's pretty basic, but it's also pretty cool because he used only eco-friendly materials, so mud, rocks, tree branches, bark. For that reason, I don't know how long it's going to last. Well, I mean, that's very Hobbit of him. Yeah, no, it is, and it does look very cool. At least at the moment, having just been freshly built. Nice. And then the 700,000 pound one mm-hmm. was created by this old man called Arthur Quarmby. 700,000 pounds, that's really heavy. Yeah, no, it's super heavy. You try to lift that thing? Wow. I know, and it's especially impressive since he's so old. I can't believe yeah. he carried it all there himself. With a name like that. So it took him about 18 months to build it. It's called the Underhill Home. And the thing is, it looks really neat and hobbitish from the outside. But when you look on the inside, it just looks like a regular rich person's home. Oh, yeah. It's got like a pool and a diving board and like a sunroof. I mean, it looks pretty cool, but not hobbity in any way. No. And he also said that he designed it with children in mind. I don't know what about a giant open pool says we designed this with children in mind. I but... designed this to kill children. Maybe that's what he that's was thinking. I designed, I designed it. I had children pool. in my mind, um, specifically their deaths. So I built this big open pool with a gl- big, huge glass window above it, presumably built into a hill. So children will be running over the hill. Fall through the glass fall window, into, into the my pool, pool, and then die. And my child trap is a success. Get out of my mind and into the bottom of my pool. Exactly. That's terrible. Yeah. But you know what? I think no, it's... He seems, like a, he seems like a cute old dude. They've been yeah. living there actually for 41 years. Oh, in the Hobbit Hole. Think he might have retrofitted it after the fact to resemble a, a, a hobbit hole. I see. So he actually like made his house into a hill. Is that the he idea? did? He did. He did. As far as I can tell. And they're selling it now because they're getting too old for the upkeep, which is fair because he's eighty-two. Does he have a screen door on his hobbit hole? You got to keep the mosquitoes out, Ryan. Oh my god! As a modern hobbit in the modern world, he's got a sliding screen door on his hobbit hole. See, I know. If I were to buy that home, I would definitely like. 
take it back to basics. Rustic kit. I would up, have a you know? larder. I would have my mother's glory box, whatever a glory box is. I would have a place carved out for playing conkers. To store all your mathems. So all my mathems, my numerous math. We should talk about mathems sometime. I doubt people listening know what mathems are. Do you have any Star Wars news? Well, yes. Uh, big news. Our last episode came out on Saturday. Yeah. And Sunday, as you know, was... It's a controversial opinion, but the the biggest night in Hollywood. Are you talking about that thing where they give the little gold man to... Yeah, the little gold man ceremony. Oh, the little gold man ceremony. That's cool. Did Star Wars win anything in the little gold man ceremony? Yes, it won a little gold man. Oh, for what? Best picture. No, it didn't. You, you must not have been watching. It didn't okay, win so, for best so, okay. picture. Best so, picture. Best picture was The Shape of Water. Well, that was, that was a hack job, okay? So, oh, like, that was a hack? Oh, okay. Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, those old crones, were up on stage. Yeah. And they're about to announce the best picture. And Warren Beatty, with his old knobby hands, is pulling the card out of the envelope. And he begins to say, The Shape of... And then Guillermo and the Fishman just rush the stage. And he's like, oh, Thank you for this honor. And then he's like... Actually, I was going to say the shape of this envelope is very difficult to open. It's actually Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. You guys won, Star Wars. You guys actually won. This isn't a joke. And then the asset went nuts and, and <laughs> slashed his throat on stage. Warren Beatty's throat? Yeah. The former Dick Tracy is now no more, but they cleaned it all up. You probably didn't notice. You had to watch really closely to notice all this happening. Oh, they edited it out. Even though it's, you know, broadcast live, they edited it out. They did. They did. Um, I think they do give themselves, like, 30 seconds of lead time. So assuming that it all happened in less than 30 seconds. I mean, if you timed what I just said, it probably took less than 30 seconds, right? So... Mm -hmm. You know, and to clean up the blood and everything, I think it was probably probably less than 30 seconds. Okay. Right? They right. Clean, wow, they've got some, like, really good janitors at the Golden Man Awards. Well, Eliza was there, too. And she's oh, really, well, Eliza, yeah, if she was there, then. But to answer your question, no, I don't really have any Star Wars news. Okay. <laughs> there was one. Did it win anything, though? <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Aww. John Williams' score was up for something. The special effects were up for something. But we do have more details about the new Star Wars live action show. Oh, do tell. Um, it's got a showrunner and a producer now. Mm, uh, who's the showrunner? John Favreau. Nerds know him for making the first two Iron Man movies. And okay. more recently, he did the live-action Jungle Book. He's doing the live-action Lion King. He's like, Disney trusts him with this stuff, clearly. Yeah, so that's who they have in charge of it. They announced it on International Women's Day. Very fitting. A white man charging running the Star Wars show, you know. Very woke of them. That's super woke. Super woke. So yeah, that, that's coming down the pipe. We still don't have many details about it, but that's going to be their, their live-action foray. So do we have, like, a time frame? Nope. The, all everyone guesses is that it's going to be like an anchor program for Disney's new exclusive streaming service. Kind of like how the new Star Trek show is, like, CBS's draw to their CBS streaming yeah, service. Yeah, right, right. So yeah, big big wins at the Oscars and, I guess, Star Wars TV show news. All right, cool. Well, Ryan. yeah. Oh boy, do I have a story for you this week. So strap in and hold on to your ass. All right, I'm holding on to my butt. Much of this week's content is going to come directly from a Tolkien book that was published in 2007, posthumously. Obviously. Well, I was going to say he is. No, it was, well, Christopher Tolkien kind of edited it and put it together. But I found my daddy's pages and made a new daddy's book. A new daddy book. Everybody get ready for my new daddy book. With additions from baby. From little baby Christopher. <laughs> Wouldn't that be creepy? Yeah. That would be like a whatever happened to Baby Jane sort of scenario. I'm writing a book for Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
this book was called The Children of Hurin. With The Children of Hurin, all the usual criticisms of Tolkien apply, right? So it's quite wordy. Sometimes it's dry. There are a lot of character and place names to remember. Yada, yada, yada. But the story itself is really sweeping and Shakespearean. And in my opinion, it's a knockout. You like it? Yeah, I really like it. Did it rock you like a hurricane? <laughs> Here I am! I don't know if Hearn was actually such a hurricane. He okay. spent the rest of his life going slowly insane in a torture chamber, but Bummer. we'll get to that in a minute. The great thing about the children of Hurin is that it shows in no uncertain terms why Turin had the crappiest life of all Tolkien's mannish protagonists. Last time we talked about the awakening of men and the three houses they formed. Mm-hmm. This time we're going to be focusing on just one of the houses, which is the house of Hador. But first, let's review all three of them real quick. Okay. okay? Right? So there was the house of Bayor from which Baron and eventually Aragorn were descended. Second, there was the House of Haleth, the one that was named after a woman and spoke their own totally unintelligible language. And finally, there was the House of Hador, which was the last to cross into Beleriand and the first to get involved in some cray-cray F and S, if I may be so bold. Whoa. Strong language. Censor yourself, Joanna. I know. I'm sorry. Kids, cover your ears. The first prominent member of the House of Hador that you may recognize is Hurin. As the grandson of Hador, right, Hurin was born, raised, and he ruled in Dor Loman, which was this fiefdom given to the house of Hador by the elves, right? So this is where they lived, was Dor Loman. Okay. Now, do you remember the Dagor Bragalach, the Battle of Sudden Flame? Yeah, I think you, yeah. Or you at least remember that name, The name maybe? stands out a lot, Right, yeah. right, right, right. So that was the fight where elves and men got their stuff wrecked, and Morgoth gained a strategic passage into Beleriand. Okay. Right? And so after that battle, Hurin and his bro Huar got separated from their army and were picked up by Thorondir, the Lord of the Eagles, and taken to Gondolin. Is this ringing any bells? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So you might remember that Turgon decided to let Hurin and Huar stay in Gondolin for a little bit, which was a very stupid decision on his part because Huar proceeded to have a son named Tuor who married Turgon's daughter Idril, whose incel cousin Maeglin got butthurt and sold his people out to Morgoth, leading to the fall of Gondolin. I remember this story. Right? So that sucked for Turgon and his people, but Hurin was out of dodge by that point, so like everything was aces for him. What a Turgon. By the way... If any of you listeners couldn't follow that, and I wouldn't blame you if you couldn't, check out our episode on the fall of Gondolin, because unfortunately, if I tried to go back over it all in detail, it would take up the rest of this episode, and we ain't got that kind of time. Uh, I have a day job, so I can't just go around talking about incels and cousin love all day, much as I would like to. So listen for the fall of Gondolin, stay for the songs of Gonk. (laughs) So anyway. Yeah. Hurin was the third lord of Dor Loman, and he was also the last. So this is because of a later battle that we've also mentioned briefly, which is the Battle of Unnumbered Tears near Naeth Arnoediad. And this battle went very, 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 very badly for all involved. The name implies a lot of crying. Well, they don't say whose tears they were. They could have been Morgoth's tears. Morgoth could have... Boo-hoo-hoo. I couldn't Mm. gain a strategic pass into Beleriand. Boo-hoo. Poor little guy. But actually, no, it was, in fact, the elves and men who were boohooing. And one of the reasons it went so badly was that Morgoth convinced the Easterlings, a far east group of men who were loyal to Morgoth. Are these the wild men? Yes. <laughs> Descended from the wild men to infiltrate and invade the lands held by the elves and their mannish allies. Okay, I have to get on my soapbox for a second. So, as I view this through a modern lens, it makes me a little uncomfy 
Because the Easterlings, well, especially because the Easterlings were also known as the Swarthy Men. Oy. Swarthy is not a great word to use in 2018. Not a great term, not especially not in this context. I feel like every time the Easterlings or the Hard Room comes up, things get really problematic. Because they're always portrayed as like these exotic foreign invaders from the East and the South. Invading the West, sort of destroying the Western way of life. And the problematic nature of these events could probably be mitigated if Tolkien had ever, ever presented them from the point of view of the Easterlings in the Horror Dream. But he never did. That's an important perspective to consider. Yeah, we don't ever see their perspective. We don't know their motivations beyond a vague sort of, we were seduced by Morgoth and we want more power! Mm, that does sound racist enough. Unlimited power! Tolkien was always adamant that there was nothing allegorical about his work, and I am willing to believe that he wasn't consciously injecting any commentary on world affairs or, like, the position of Europe in relation to its eastern and southern neighbors. I also am willing to believe that Tolkien was not consciously racist. However, mm-hmm. however, 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 something can be unconscious and even counter to your conscious intentions and still be problematic. Yeah, it's a little xenophobic. So I think that there is some stuff in here that even though it may be unconscious, it is problematic. And I would be remiss if I didn't state that up front. Okay. So there's that. So we are not in support of Tolkien's uh, xenophobic whitewashing of Middle-earth history. This history that actually happened. Easterlings, uh, you know, need representation as well. Hard dream are people too. They have their own deep culture, presumably. I don't know. Tolkien never mentioned it. Solidarity. Solidarity. All joking aside, you can see why this is oh, I wasn't troublesome. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Serious. All right. Back to the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. Okay. As you can probably tell from the name... So elves and men got their stuff wrecked again, Mm -hmm. and Hurin had a particularly rough time of it because he was captured by Morgoth and tortured. Oh no. For years. Now, last time we heard about Morgoth torturing somebody. Maeglin. Well, he actually, he didn't have to torture Maeglin. Maeglin was just like, yeah, I'll tell you what what you want to know. Even before that, he was torturing elves and making them into orcs. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. He was not making Huron into an orc. That'd be very cool. Yeah, I, that, he actually did something that I would argue was a little bit worse. So Morgoth knew that Hurin had been to Gondolin before, and he wanted to know where Gondolin was, right? We've yeah. established that. But Hurin was a real mensch, and he refused to spill his guts. So Morgoth got kind of pissy and cursed Hurin. He said, bleep. Bleep you, Hurin, you bleep and bleep. It's like, oh, stop all those curses. I bleeped your mother last night, Hurin. Oh, gosh. Messing up my yeah, ears. Yeah, you know the way your mom likes it. She bleep and likes it when you bleep oh. inside, right? Just up her bleep. And... So many curses. My ears are not a toilet for your potty mouth, Morgoth. No, I'm, I'm actually going to read his curse, though. Okay, let's hear it. Hear Morgoth... Wait, is it going to curse anybody who listens to this? No, this curse was aimed only at Hurin and his descendants. Unless, okay. if you are a descendant of Hurin, then yeah, you're bone. Cover your ears. Cover your ears if you know that Hurin is your great-great-granddaddy. Yeah. Hear Morgoth's exact words. Sit now there and look out upon the lands where evil and despair shall come upon those whom thou lovest. Thou hast dared to mock me and to question the power of Melkor, master of the fates of Arda. Therefore, with my eyes thou shalt see, and with my ears thou shalt hear, and never shalt thou move from this place until all is fulfilled unto its bitter end. Hachi machi. What that essentially means is you and all your family are going to have, like, the most terrible lives ever. 
but so unspecific. Like, that's really bad. I mean, like, if he was like, You will forever be pulled over by the police officers for going one mile over the speed limit. You will forever, when you go to the gas station, roll over your payment by a single cent so it's two twenty oh one instead of a clean $20. You will forever. Everyone you meet will make annoying mouth sounds that aren't that noticeable, but once you notice them, you can't stop noticing, and it's really annoying. NPR will be unlistenable to you as everyone clacks like a centipede to your ears. And they'll always be doing a pledge drive. <laughs> that's that's not specific at all. No, that's not specific. It basically means, like, I'm going to screw over your family and you're going to sit here and watch. Oh, boy. You have to watch every bad thing that happens to your loved ones. And sorry to say, but that is what happened to Hurin. He was eventually released following the defeat of Morgoth, but everything had gone so boobs up for his family by that point that it probably would have been better if Morgoth had just killed him. So let's move on to the real tragic hero of this piece. I mean, Hurin's, Hurin is tragic, man. That's Okay, a- but this is this guy's even more, I swear to you, this guy's even more tragic. More tragic than a guy forced to watch all of his family suffer under the hands of Morgoth. Well, I guess it depends on your point of view, but yeah, kind of. Oh, gosh. Because at least Hurin had had a pretty good life up till that point. I mean, I guess I'm glad I'm holding my onto my butt because this is... It's going to fall right off. I'm going to kick it right off your face if oh, you're not careful. I put that on my face, but <laughs> it might be after this. It will be. <laughs> so Hurin's son, the titular child of Hurin, Turin Turambar. And Turin was born and raised in Dor Loman, living with his mommy and his daddy and his sister, Erwin. And his childhood was pretty idyllic initially, um, except for the fact that Erwin got the plague and died at some point. Turin's very early life was pretty charmed. But then his dad was captured by Morgoth and the Easterlings started to invade Dorloman. So Turin's mom, whose name was Morwen, sent him to live in Doriath for his own safety. Now, do you remember Doriath? It's the forest kingdom of Thingol. Yeah, I remember Thingol. And it was hidden from Morgoth by Melian's magical girdle. Yes, yes, yes. Belts, not like shapewear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where Turin was sent, and Thingol accepted him as kind of a foster son. And as a result, Turin became somewhat culturally elvish, which would become an issue for him later in life. And another thing that would become an issue for Turin later on was that after he moved to Doriath, his mom had a baby daughter called Nienor. But since Morwen and Nienor were still back in Dorloman, Turin and Nienor never met his children. Aww. And that will become important as the story progresses. Okay. They never met. Keep that in mind. So Turin, you know, he's grown up safe and secure in Doriath. He's a young man. He's kind of growing it up as young men are wont to do. Uh, he had a best elf friend called Beleg. And he also had a worst elf enemy called Saros. Saros. And Saros was a high counselor and he was super prissy and into himself. Oh, totally. I, I can picture this. He's like the Draco Malfoy of this story. Yeah. I mean, I kind of... Pictured all elves as being a little bit prissy and into themselves. Yeah, but maybe more than that the regular is elf. just my racism showing through. Yeah, for real. So one day, on the 12th anniversary of his departure from Dor Loman, Turin was feeling understandably kind of depressed. Uh, he had just returned from fighting Morgoth's forces along the border of Doriath. And he made his way back to the king's hall and slumped down into a seat at the king's table. And he was all despondent and weepy. He was like, my mommy's back in Dorloman, my sister's back in Dorloman, my daddy's captured by Morgoth, I'm just a kid and life is a nightmare. And then, yeah. to make matters worse, Saros shows up. My rival. Yes. He's like the Gary Oak yeah. of this story. Smell you later. Twerp. <laughs> so it turns out that Torrin is sitting in Saros' chair. Well, you know, you can't sit in the cool kid's seat in the lunch exactly. table, right? Exactly, you can't sit with us. Yeah. But instead of being like, hey, that's my chair, would you mind moving? Or just like, 
shrugging it off because who the hell cares what chair you sit in? Saros decided to be a passive-aggressive little wiener about it. <laughs> okay. He plopped himself down in the chair directly across from Turin and started insulting Turin's hair. Is this real? Is this, this is real. This is real. This is a real part of the story. So Saris is like, oh my god, is that your hair? Or did the Rondier King of the Eagles build a nest on your head? Oh! And turns like, bro, what? And Saris is like, so do human women look like animals too? Do they like run around like beasts with just their hair wrapped around them instead of clothes? Oh, dude! And turns like, bro, what? And he throws a goblet at Saros' face and busts his mouth open. Oh, no. That beautiful face. That beautiful face! Not my face! Not my beautiful face! So that was the end of that particular argument, but it was not the end of the feud between Turin and Saros. No, they started something there. Yes. So, so this, this is this is all because of a game of musical chairs. This whole... Basically. All because somebody sat in Saros' chair. Oh, my goodness. And Saros' baby's gotta have it. The next day, Saros tries to ambush Turin in revenge. I'm going to sit in his chair this time. <laughs> exactly. So he tries to ambush him in the forest. But Saros evidently wasn't that good at fighting because Turin almost immediately disarmed him. Then Turin decided to make it really weird. Okay. So he tells Saros to take off all his clothes. Hold on. Saros is like, um, but he does it. Why? <laughs> well, just keep listening. Then Turin's like, I want you to run naked through the forest. Saros is like, I want to do that. And Taurus is like, boy, you better start running. What the heck's going on? This is like such a feud. So Saros does. He's running naked. No one's forcing you, Saros. But he runs too fast across the river and he slips and falls to his death. Holy moly. Oops. Prank war gone awry. So, you know, somebody's going to like come across his broken naked body and try to explain, okay, what transpired here? This is the start of like a horror movie where like, Ten years later, on the very day of Saros' death to the Saros, river. Is like, this mysterious man shaped like Saros shows up in a yellow rain slicker with like a hook on yeah. his head. <laughs> I'm coming for you. I know what you did. <laughs> he calls him up. He's like, have you checked the baby? <laughs> Take your clothes off, Turin. <laughs> so Turin, Turin, to his credit, is really horrified by this. Uh, yeah. Right? He didn't want to kill the guy. He just wanted to see him run naked through the woods. Right? You know, some soft bro fun. No homo. But since it all went horribly awry, Turin decides to run away from home and never come back. Into a river and died? No, no, no. He didn't run that no, fast? No, didn't run that fast. <laughs> Saros was booking it. Okay. Later, Turin was given a trial in absentia, and ultimately, Fingal actually decided to pardon him because I guess no one really liked Saros that much anyway. He was a major tool. Right, so Turin's best elf friend, Beleg, is like, look... I know Turin. He's my bro. He's a little impulsive sometimes. Just let me go find him and I'll convince him to come back. Okay. And Thingle is like, all right, Bella, Godspeed. In the meantime, though, Turin has gone completely off the rails. What, is he like in some opium den? Is he like Not snorting he... pipe leaf off a, off a hobbit's... Tukus. Tukus. <laughs> Tukus. This is our, our PG-13 rated podcast. We yeah. say Tukus. Tukus. He's become... Full of a Tukus. <laughs> He's become like one of those delinquent kids you see on Maury Povich, oh, no. right? On those episodes that are like, my kid's too wild. Turns out, catch, catch me outside. So, yeah, exactly. So after running away from home, he joins a band of wilderness outlaws and he starts... <laughs> I was hoping you say he joined a band. <laughs> <laughs> he joins a band. He grows his hair out. He starts doing a lot of coke. He ends yeah. up living in Berlin with like Iggy Pop. Yeah. <laughs> doing a cover of Dancing in the Streets. Yeah. <laughs> so... 
after he joins this band of outlaws, he starts going by a cool new street name, which is Nathan, which means the wronged. Nathan's not a cool street name. I'm sorry. Mine isn't Nate. Nathan is the coolest of all street names. There is no name tougher and more badass than Nathan. So like in, like in our world, it'd be like mm. killer or like Mad Spike. Dog. Mad or, Dog. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Rough Rider or something like that. Yeah, but his name is Nathan. <laughs> I how times have changed. So by the time that maybe in Tolkien's time, that was like the toughest name one could have. I bet he got beaten up by a kid named Nathan at like his is his president. He did. He's like this ruffian's name is Nathan. This, this prime in my primary school, Nathan pants to me. The roughest and toughest of all thugs should be named Nathan, and it is it is spelled N E I T H A N. Oh, so he's even like one of those like like yuppie parents. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna name my kid Nathan, but I'm gonna spell it all weird. Anyway. By the time Bellig zeroes in on Turin's location, Turin has actually become the bandit captain. Oh, bandit captain Nathan. Right? Unfortunately for Bellig, he comes across Turin's outlaw friends when Turin happens to be away. And the outlaws tie him to a tree, Bellig, tie Bellig to a tree, Mm -hmm. and demand to know who he is and who sent him because they do not trust elves. Of course not. When Turin returns and he sees that his bandit friends have tied up his best bro, Bellig, he's so upset that he's like, I'm not going to be an outlaw anymore. This is stupid. He doesn't actually go home because Bellig's like, okay, this means you'll come back to Doriath, right? And he's like, no. I'm still going to hang out with these outlaws. I'm just not going to do bad things anymore. No more hood rat stuff with my friends. No more hood rat stuff with my friends. Doesn't steal his grandma's car and take him for joyrides anymore. <laughs> We're referencing memes from like 10 years ago, but whatever. If you're not old, who cares? If you ain't old, we don't care. Bellig briefly returns to Doriath alone without Turin, but he kind of misses his best friend. So he decides to come back and hang with Turin and his wilderness friends for a while. Mm-hmm. The only problem is Turin's wilderness friends are mad racist. They hate elves. And not only that, but they've picked up a little dwarf friend. I say friend. He's more like kind of like their captive, but they picked him up while Bellig was gone and dwarves hate elves even more. Oh no. So in fact, this dwarf, Mim, is so racist against elves that he decides to just sell out the whole party to a group of orcs just so the elf will die. Wow. Just for one elf. Just because he, yeah, because he wants the elf to die. Come on, man. So the orcs show up and they kill literally everyone except Turin and Beleg. And I want to say that's what they get for being racist, but it sucks for Turin because that was literally all his friends. So worse still, the orcs capture Turin and decide to take him to Morgoth. Now... While this slaughter is going on, Mim decides to take his chance. He's like, I'm going to kill this elf. So he goes over and he's like, going to murder Bellig. But then one of the other bandits who had appeared to be dead gets up and rescues Bellig. Oh, good job. Yeah. And he's like, Bellig, they took Turin. Go after him. And he's like, Mim, no KSing. No KSing. Stop KSing, <laughs> you stupid dwarf. And 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 Nim is like, uh, no joke, gold for free? <laughs> It was a Warcraft reference. It was. Anyway, so basically this bandit's love and ties of friendship to Turin overcame his racism and he saves Bellic. He's like, Bellic, go save him. So Bellic goes after them. Okay. But that's where we're going to leave it for now. Whoa, cliffhanger. Right? So next week I'll finish the tale of Turin and I promise things are going to get exponentially crappier for him. And again... Huron's watching this whole time. Huron's watching, and he's like, oh my god, my kid's a delinquent, he's so sassy. Nathan? Where'd he get that name from? Nathan, that is not cool, who told him that was cool? God. I mean, Nathan's a fine name, it's just not, like, a tough-ass name. No, it's not. What a a cliff to hang us on. Quite a yarn, and we haven't even gotten to Nienor yet, the other child of Huron. Oh, that's right, yeah. Just wait. 
Just wait till we get to her. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. But anyway, do you have anything to lighten the mood? Because I feel like that was a rather heavy story, although it did have some sort of unintentionally comedic parts. Um, I got more kids to talk about. Ooh, which kids? You're talking about the children of Huron. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the children of Han Solo. (laughs) Han Solo. Yeah, so do you know anything about the... Han Solo's children. Uh, he has one child named Ben Solo, Kylo Ren. Yeah, yeah. Kylo Ben. Did you know that before the new Star Wars canon became a thing with Disney, that Han Solo had three children? I actually wrote a fanfic about this once. Did I ever tell you that? No. Tell me about it. I wrote a fanfic for my friend um, Becca mm-hmm. in high school. Her nickname was Beccalo. Okay. And I wrote a story where she was the daughter of Han Solo and her name was Beccalo Solo. That's a lot that's a lot of la Lolos in that name. Yeah. She um had to go on this adventure with Chewbacca and I remember one of the plot lines was Chewbacca got rabies. Oh no. <laughs> so Chewbacca was like dying of rabies no. this whole story. He didn't get his shots. He did not get his shots. Han, you're supposed to take him in like every few years. No, to get Han Solo was like an alcoholic in this story. Oh, he was not a good not a good friend or a good father. Drinking Michelob. I don't know why I specified Michelob, but that classic Star Wars drink, Michelob. Michelob. <laughs> Michelob light Michelob. saber. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, nope. So that was my headcanon. But what was the other... The Legends canon. The Legends canon. Yes. Yeah, Han Solo had three kids. Him and Princess Leia. And they are not canon any longer. They, their whole history has been written over. This is purely a Legends installment today. So these are like the lost children. These are the lost, forgotten Solo kids. Oh. Now, I should say right up, the, right up front, if you're like a diehard Star Wars Extended Universe person, you've read all the books, everything like that, I'm not going to cover everything. Because these articles, I had to go through three of them, because there's three kids, obviously. Uh-huh. And they are long. Because there have been so many books, so many comics, everything's about these kids. So I, I did the word count just to like yeah. demonstrate, okay? So he has three kids, okay? And Jaina's article, 53,743 words. What? That is like literally a novella length. Jason, 70,109 words. That's a novel. That is like a full novel. Anakin, 11,577 words. Why does Anakin get the short end of the stick there? I don't know. So oh. in total... In total, that's 135,429 words. That is words. a book. That is even longer than most, like, supermarket paperback. I wait, com- wait, I wait. compared it. I compared it. So, yeah. uh, for example, Twilight. First Twilight book, 118,000 words. So, so shorter. It's shorter than these three solo kid but articles. that was the shortest one. Okay. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. 122,000 words. Ready Player One. Oh. Um, the new film coming out. Yeah. That tells you that your nostalgia is okay because it helps you get a girlfriend and win a bajillion dollars. That's how you get girlfriends. And by referencing the 80s and saying, remember this? Remember that? Maybe maybe some girls like that. Remember Back to the Future? I do. Remember Iron Giant? I do. Let me go to bed with you. Remember Gundam? Wow, let's get married. Remember? Remember? 136,000 words. So slightly longer than these three articles put together. Wow. One that you're familiar with? Yes. The Return of the King? Yeah. 137,000 words. So only slightly longer. Slightly, slightly longer than the Forgotten Solo Kids Wikipedia articles. <laughs> wow! Yeah. I would venture that it takes longer to read. Much longer to oh, read, Oh, yes. Can I just show you? This is how long, like, most of the Encyclopedia of Art articles are. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's a paragraph and a yeah. diagram. It's like one paragraph and some footnotes. Oh, my God. Yeah, most of them. They're, like... Astounding in their brevity. Clearly, I, I am the only one pulling my weight in this podcast because I have to read so many. No, words. because I will go through like seventeen different articles okay, to cobble okay, these okay. together. That's why it takes me so much longer than you to get prepared. Fine. All right, so let's talk about these solo kids. All right. So the solo twins, Jason and Jaina. 
Born in 9 ABY. That's after the Battle of Yavin. Okay. So a few years after the Return of the Jedi. A few years before Ray Ray, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but after Finn. But again, Ray Ray doesn't exist in this timeline. Yeah. Neither does Finn. None of those guys. Ray Ray always exists to me. They're born to Princess Leia on Coruscant after 10 hours of labor. Oh, because that's I'm the pretty exact sure, number. I'm pretty sure, Joanna, that that citation in the Humans article came directly from this because it's the only childbirth that's described in the Star Wars books. And so, <laughs> so that's how long it took for Han Solo's kids. So that is literally how long it takes for every human woman to give birth to children. Yes. <laughs> ten hours. Always exactly ten hours. So that's Jaina, J-A-I-N-A. Yeah. Uh, and she was named after Han Solo's mom. Aww. Jaina Solo. Is that... Canonical? That Not his anymore. Mom's Jaina? Not anymore. Okay, we don't know what his mom's name is then. And Jason was named Jason, because, like J-A-C-E-N. Okay. Because J-A-S-O-N was too popular. Oh my god, that, now, you want to talk about, like, hippie misspellings. <laughs> yeah. I would be shocked if there were no kid in America right now, no elementary school kid named Jason oh, spelled like there's that. there's absolutely at least, like, There's gotta be. 100,000. You have that one kid named A. Aiden. A. Aiden, I do. White child. Yes. So yeah, when they were born, it caused a great publicity over the Holonet. The Holonet's kind of like the the Star Wars internet or TV station. It's kind of a bunch of things combined. Yeah. Uh, and they actually created a baby boom in the New Republic. Wait, everybody's like, well, Han Solo's having kids. Yeah, it must be safe. Let's do it. Oh, and, and it only took 10 hours? Well, then that's how long it's going to take for us. So that's nothing. Yeah. And, and the Imperial Remnant were also like, ooh, this is interesting. These are the grandkids of Darth Vader. Mm, mm. Intriguing. Even before they were born, it was apparent that they were very strong in the Force. What, even in the womb? Even in the womb, because it said that uh, Leia could communicate with them while they were, while they were in the womb. And well, she Leia could, has the force. She does, and she could calm them down oh. in, if they were wriggling around too much. So they were like force communicating. Yeah. That's so sweet. Isn't that nice? A, a year and a half later, their little brother Anakin Solo was born. Yeah. So they got the twins, Jason, Jaina, and Anakin. Uh, his birth was prophesied as early as a thousand years before the Battle of Yavin. Whoa. Another chosen one. But how would you know which Anakin it was prophesied? That's the thing. I think they maybe got it wrong. I think they jibbled up the names and think they like, like, oh, Anakin, Darth Vader Anakin, he's the chosen one. But it's, but like, it's actually, actually Anakin, Anakin the Second. Solo. Anakin Solo. Anakin the Second. Yes. So, yeah, it was Leia's choice. Originally, we were going to name him Han Solo Jr. <laughs> but Leia's like, no, no, no. Let, let's redeem my dad's name. Let's make it like a positive force instead of like a, a, a this this galactic terror. You know what? You know what Han's second choice probably was? What's that? Skyhouse. Skyhouse. I want to name Sky my dad Skyhouse Solo. Skyhouse Solo. That's got a nice ring to it. <laughs> But of course, as you can imagine, the children of Princess Leia and Han Solo, almost immediately, everyone wanted to kidnap these kids. Yeah. They're like, strong in the force, powerful birthright, and so it's constantly, like constantly Lindbergh being- Lindbergh baby con- Yeah, exactly. Constantly getting attempts on their lives and being kidnapped and stuff like that and getting rescued. The whole beginning part of this art- these articles are just like all the times they were foiled and kidnapped. Um, there's even a case where the, the clone of Emperor Palpatine tried to steal Anakin because he wanted to put his essence into Anakin's baby Ew. body. Not in the gross way, Joanna. That's pedophilia. Well, he wanted to become baby Anakin. Uh, so he stopped doing the I whole... I want to put myself inside this baby. So he stopped doing the whole clone thing. Because after he died, he got cloned a couple times, and he was really sick of it. And so he's like, I want to go in this... I'm so sick I want to grow up in this, in this powerful baby body. This powerful in the force baby. I totally feel him. Because sometimes I'm like, God, I am so tired of being cloned. If they could just, like, put my spirit inside an infant... That'd be the best. So much more convenient. Think about being an infant with the with the mind of a of a of an adult. It'd be like, guess who's talking? It'd be great. And that movie was hilarious. Right. Sorry, look who's talking. Wrong that, name. That guess who's talking. You're mixing up with guess who's coming to dinner. <laughs> guess who's talking to dinner? <laughs> it's a black baby. It's a black baby. <laughs> Turns out. Wow. Um, 
So eventually, like, before the Emperor could take over Anakin's body, Han shot him. <laughs> so <laughs> Wait, he shot the Emperor, not not the kid. No, 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 the Emperor's clone. He shot him. <laughs> My only choice is to shoot this baby. <laughs> You're going to take him. No one can have no him. No one can have him. Um, but yeah, so Han shot the cloned Emperor. It was very weak. After that, they decided to keep the kids in hiding for a little while. So he sent them to be under the watch of Admiral Akbar and some combat droid nannies. So eventually, when all when uh, Jaina and Jason were two and a half years old, they allowed to finally come back and live with their parents okay. uh, on Coruscant. Uh, but Leia was really busy at the time as the Minister of State for the New Republic. Okay, yeah. And, and Han was busy doing whatever Han did, like drinking Michelob. Probably drinking Michelob, <laughs> doing, doing runs for more Michelob. I go on another Michelob run. So they were often babysat by C three PO and and or Chewbacca. Okay, which is kind of cute, right? Who do you think would be a better babysitter? Well, neither one was very good because some real Baby's Day Out stuff went down with these. <laughs> oh my God. They were always sneaking out, causing mischief. There's a whole thing with the holographic zoo of extinct animals. and I don't know what book this was in. The holographic was, zoo of extinct animals. <laughs> they just like, would crawl out of, the, out of the palace and just, you know, go on some girder on a construction site and, you know, hit, hit Chewy in the nards and, you know. <laughs> Under these babysitters, they're still trying to be kidnapped constantly. <laughs> There's one little story they tell. Uh, when Jaina was around four years old, she accompanied her father and brothers with the, on a trip with Chewbacca. While her father had his hands full with her brothers, she wandered off following Uh-oh. a robotic hand. A ro- just a hand? A robotic hand. Is it like around. the hand from the Evil Dead where it's just I think like- so. Like, kind of like the thing from Adam's Family. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> she eventually found that it led to a droid who wanted to turn her to the dark side. Oh, no! Fortunately, Chewbacca was able to destroy the droid and rescue little Jaina. And to thank him, she drew him a picture saying that she loved him. Oh, she'd never said it before. My big furry dad. No, wait, like, now, was the hand the droid's hand? Or yeah, Or the droid yeah. and the hand just in coats? Oh, I don't know. I didn't really say I assumed it was the droid hand, but it was just like an extra robot hand. He's like, it was just another hey, hand. It's hey, like, hand, you want a job? Yeah. Go get that solo kid. Make him come back to me. I want to turn to the dark side. This is going to be the hottest grift anyone's ever run. Hey, can you give me a hand? And the hands are car. I've never heard of that before. Seriously, come on. <laughs> We're past that. Thankfully, they had some time to relax. They had story time and play dates with their mom and dad in Coruscant. But they were still kept close and kind of locked inside the Imperial Palace. Mm-hmm. These dang kids. So, so she see targets. There's a funny paragraph here. It says, as of 16 ABY, so that makes the kids around seven, uh, Jason was more interested in mastering the Force than in physical play. Um, and so he avoided strenuous activity, which caused him to become somewhat pudgy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so they're just like... I mean, can you, I mean, this is what would really happen if the Force existed. Like, and you were a little kid. Yeah! Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't... I don't like, want to get up. I'm just just like, Force lift everything. I've always thought that whenever they have, like, a show about psychic kids, like, yeah. um, Stranger Things. You know how Eleven could just, like, move everything with her mind? Yeah. Why is she so skinny? Yeah. I would get fat as hell so if did, I could move everything with my mind. Jason was a little porker at this age. Wait, <laughs> that's more realistic. And Han was really worried about him because he didn't play with his siblings very much. Because he, he can't move because he's like... And he became increasingly concerned with his son's lack of interest in sport. Oh. My fat son. Oh my god. Isn't that always the way? <laughs> I understand my son. He doesn't play sports. But eventually Jason got over that stage and he snuck out of the palace with his, with his uh, sister and his brother. And kind of like roamed around the streets of Coruscant. Exploring on their own like rugrats. And they met a kid named Zek. Who was like a street kid, street urchin. And they like became fast friends with him because like poor people are super fascinating. You poor, know? Are poor people interesting? They I are. think so. Jane had a major crush on him. Oh, wrong side of the tracks. Oh yeah. So Jane and Jason took on Han's piloting aptitude, and they were flying the Millennium Falcon as young as age nine. Whoa! Yeah, they were good at it. Uh, meanwhile, Anakin, a couple years younger, he was a tech whiz, and he could like hack anything. Oh, of course. Yeah. 
All three were doing Force stuff at a very young age. They're moving things around, reading thoughts, all that stuff. So they're all pretty, like, talented little kids. In 22 ABY, 22 years after the Battle of Yavin, yeah. the twins are 13, Anakin's 11. They all went to learn Jedi stuff from their uncle, Master Luke, <gasps> on Yavin 4. And he tried to kill them all in their sleep. Yes! <laughs> no, they went to Yavin <laughs> 4. he does. Yeah, the Jedi Prexium, which is, like, his school he started. Ooh. Um, so they trained with him for a little bit. But at the same time, they discovered there was a Shadow Academy that existed to train Dark Jedi. Ooh. On Yavin 4 as well. So they had this kind of rivalry going on. It was kind of like like an 80s summer camp movie with like the rich kids across the lake. Or it's like in the Karate Kid where there's the evil dojo. Cobra Kai. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like that, but with more like attempted kidnappings and lightsaber fights. And it turns out their old buddy Zek, part of the Shadow Academy. Oh no! Really wrong side of the track. They lured him in because he was poor. That's what they do though, those organizations. They prey on the poor and desperate. Yeah, but... It's just like... Young Living Essential Oils. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what they do as well. <laughs> they pray on the poor and desperate. God. Oh, yeah. He invited him over for a party and is actually just trying to sell them these infusers. And But anyway, they got Zek to join the Jedi Academy eventually. Whew, I was really worried about Zek. Oh, man. Um, he turned it around. So, again, this is a very long set of articles. They had lots of adventures outside the school. Um, there's even a time where they had to hunt down the attempted assassin of Neenub. Somebody tried to kill Neenub? And it's up to these Jedi kids to find him. Somebody tried to, who would try to kill him? I know, our beautiful man, a beautiful my beautiful pilot. bright and s- my bird of paradise my, my bright and shining star my drippy shiny man <laughs> Anakin actually had his own uh, series of kids books written about him at the time called the Young Jedi Knights whoa it followed him and this little girl named Tyree and he had a new Jedi master named Ikrit Ikrit and Ikrit was super strong in the force uh-huh. but basically looked like a cross between a, a rabbit and a chinchilla he was called a Kushiban here's a yeah. picture of Ifrit oh my God, that is so... You know what it looks like? What's that? It looks like... You're going to have to cut this out because nobody's going to understand this. It looks like um a cabot from Tenshi Muyo. I think we should keep that in. You think? To prove your anime cred. You <laughs> yeah, Ikrit looks like a cabot from the anime series Tenshi Muyo. Ten- such a... Tenshi weird. Universe and Tenshi in Tokyo. Okay, can I just uh, say, though... Cabots yes, are very cute. Yes, I am a weeb. However, I have actually lived in Japan. I... I'm actually a freelance translator and interpreter. I take advanced Japanese classes. Like, I'm a respectable weeb, okay? It's okay, Joanna. You don't have to make excuses. So embarrassing. But unlike Ryo Oki, he couldn't turn into a spaceship. He was just a little Jedi master. He rode on Anakin's shoulders and taught him Force things. Cool. Eventually, all the kids were promoted to Jedi Knights. Good job, kids. They graduated. Wow! Props. How old were they? Uh, You know, like, probably like 15. Okay. That seems young, but uh, I guess Luke was like 19. I mean, they're prodigies. They're really good at what they do. But then... In the year 25 ABY. So the twins are 16, Anakin's 14. Yeah. The Yuzan Vong invasion began. Who that? Okay, this is Who kinda, that? Okay. <laughs> Who um, that, Ryan? So the Yu- Yuzan Vong are kind of when I tapped out of Star Wars EU stuff. I was kind of over it at that point. It was this big crossover event. Yes. Where this race of super HR Giger loving edgelords... From beyond the outside of the galaxy, who were super mysterious, they had no connection to the Force, they had no life sign readings and stuff, it was very, very confusing for the Jedi Knights. Came in, they started wrecking things, taking over the galaxy, basically. Now you say they liked H.R. Giger, but they were like... Okay, look at... Look and at, look all at, in these sort of pseudo S&M with really phallic looking... Oh, they were. <laughs> okay, you showed me the picture, and yes, they were. That's a Yuzen Vong. Okay. Wow. That screams 90s. Oh, it was actually like early 2000s. Um, wow, okay. Yeah. Cool. A little late. So, I mean, I guess that's when, you know, Hot Topic was super big. It was one of those cool events where it got the, the, the Republic and the Imperial Remnant and the Hut Cartels and all the Black Sun Pirates and all the bad guys and all the good guys to all team up against this, this super invasion. 
And so it's like one of those big like Marvel crossover events, but like even dumber. Was, so did you stop this reading the Star years. Wars books when the Yuuzhan Vong came out just because you were getting too old for Star Wars books in general? Or are you just like, this specifically is stupid? Well, no, I was already kind of out at that time. Okay. I didn't read any of like the prequel books or anything because I was, you know, in high school at that point. Right. And so I was kind of kind of over it. And I'm kind of glad I tapped out when I did because the Yuuzhan Vong thing is very long and very dumb. It's famous for that part where Chewbacca is killed by a moon landing on him. I know that part! Even I know that part! That's, I don't even think I learned it from you. I think an entirely separate person told me about that's that. That's from the Yuuzhan Vong invasion. Wow. So the Yuuzhan Vong had all this crazy technology. They could manipulate the gravitational fields of planets. And essentially they threw a moon at the planet where all the rebel kids were. Like all the other yeah. rebel kids were. And so Chewbacca was left behind rescuing Anakin Solo. Getting him on the Millennium Falcon. And the moon crushed him. I feel like... They are ripping off Majora's Mask. But then it turned out that Anakin had an ocarina, and he could play back the last three days of his time. That's not even the right song, but whatever. That's sorry, a song. I Lost know, Woods, whatever. Oh I've only ever played, like, one Zelda game, okay? So, this was to show that the Yuuzhan Vong, they aren't playing around. We gotta kill somebody important. How about Chewbacca? The guy who's hard to write for because all he does is make noises. But that was all because of little Anakin Solo, so it ties right into our Solo kids. Han Solo obviously was... Very devastated by Chewbacca's they loss. They had like a life bond. Yeah, there's a really kind of mean quote they put in this article about Anakin Solo. Swan Solo approached his son Anakin after Chewbacca died. And this is what he had to say to him. You left him. He's a kid! I know! He's like a, he's a 13-year-old he's, boy. He's a child! Way to lay that hang Oh my god, like way to blame your child for the death. Yeah. He got crushed by a moon! What I was know. the kid supposed to do? Han, you weren't there. Chewbacca made a choice. He made a choice to rescue your child over himself. How long has he known Chewbacca? That sounds like classic Chewbacca. I know. Heartless what and... Was the kid supposed to... Heartful so I... and loyal to the end, right? That's terrible. I know. That is so mean. Like, I honestly have a tear, a single tear in my eye right now because I'm really upset that by bummer? that. Yeah, that's mean. So they killed Chewie to show the Yuuzhan Vong weren't playing around. They also killed Ikrit. In another noble <gasps> sacrifice to save Anakin. Anakin keeps getting rescued by his old buds, and they keep getting killed. So, you know what? Let's show the Yuuzhan Vong. Like, they aren't your, they aren't your, this kid's Star Wars. We're going to kill off the cute kid character, you know, from the kids' book series to show that we're good. We're not playing around. This is a serious issue. Yeah, this is got adult themes. Adult themes. Dude, I feel like Anakin is the Turin of the Star Wars Extended Universe. I think he kind of is. Yeah, because, like, horrible things are happening to him. Yeah. And his dad is blaming him for them. Well, it gets so. worse for him. Anakin was actually the first Jedi in a long time who could actually sense the Yuuzhan Vong. He called it the Vong sense. <laughs> and honestly, if he had the Vong sense, he probably could have done a better job of, like, rescuing his old pals. Yeah. And Ifrit, Ifrit, so maybe right? that's all I like a point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in my opinion, this whole story is a load of Vong sense. So. <laughs> it does sound like some some damn Vong sense. But because he had the Vong sense, he was made the leader of all the scrappy Jedi kids. Okay. And, like, they're fighting against the Yuuzhan Vong. Because he had, like, he could sense them. He's kind of, like, this, this really good boy. Always did the right thing. Very, like, had a good head on his shoulders. So one time, when Anakin was 17, uh, his siblings, Jason and Jaina, and some other young Jedi knights were on a mission to the planet Mirkir. They were there to wipe out a species of Yuuzhan Vong-created creatures called the Voxing, because Yuuzhan Vong could, like, make their own species. Yeah. They could, like, do genetic manipulation, make their own things. Cool. And these creatures were designed to hunt for sensitive individuals. They could, like, smell them. And they also had sonic blasts, flesh-melting acid, disease-coated claws, and a poisonous barbed tail. Disease? Co- what kind of disease? Questionable. Just, 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 just generic disease. disease. The common cold. Uh, <laughs> allergies. Allergies. <Ooh. laughs> There's so pink much eye. on their chest, pink eye. <laughs> 
I could put my finger and rub it in your eye! Use on Vong! So yeah, so the Voxen were designed specifically to hunt down Jedi and get them sick and kill them. Bad news. So the kids all go there, and eventually, of course, they're tracked down by the Voxen, because they can smell Force users. Yeah. And surrounded by the Yuuzhan Vong. And so that everyone could escape, Anakin stayed behind to fight off the Yuuzhan Vong. And he did the best he could, but at last he had to focus all of his force energy into his body. And in the final last-ditch attempt to destroy the Yuuzhan Vong. So he's, like, he's like shooting light out of his fingers, he's yeah. vaporizing fools. But the last I saw of Anakin was a beacon of light as he became one with the Force. Did he like, oh my god. So he died, essentially. He, w- he died. He, he became one with the Force in the same way that Luke became one with the Force at the end of episode 8. Yeah, he did. Wow! So 17-year-old Anakin is toast. But he saved all of his brothers and sisters, he saved all of his friends... It might be a good thing that he died because it was either die or like rack up thousands of dollars in therapy bills. Oh, honestly, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. So you know, he took the the cheaper way out. Yeah, the kids didn't take it very good. Uh, after Anakin's death, Jason kind of became the de facto leader and was almost immediately captured by the Yuuzhan Vong. <laughs> Poor Jason. Yeah, and they groomed him to follow his dark instincts. Oh, like Ben. Like Ben. And the Yuuzhan Vong had a real kind of, they're kind of hot for twins because they had, they had this, Ugh. well, their religion, they had this uh, god called Yun Harla, who was the twin god. And so they were trying to like groom him to battle Jaina someday. They really, they thought it'd be like, you know, like this is going to be the reincarnation of our god. We want to see him fight. The, the, see the two sides of our god fight. That would be very cool. And he got access to the Vong sense. He got Anakin's old lightsaber. So score. But really, even though he's kind of playing along a little bit, He's actually just playing him from the inside. <gasps> I knew it. Yeah. I so, knew Jason was stronger than he looked. So those dumb goth aliens got played by Jason. Good. Meanwhile, Jason was leading Rogue Squadron, which was uh, Luke's old X-Wing squadron. She was the leader of it. Cool. He was fighting X-Wing around, blowing up Yuuzhan Vong and shooting proton torpedoes and all that. Uh, and the Yuuzhan Vong actually became kind of uh, impressed by her and revered her. As like, they, whoa, they yeah. thought she was the, the Big ups. Yeah, they thought she was the reincarnation of their trickster goddess, like the half of, of their god. Whoa. So they're like, they called her goddess whenever they fought her. Jeez. Yeah, she was really good. So eventually the war was won. Hooray. And then the galaxy was united. The Imperial Remnant and the old New Republic got united as the Galactic Alliance. So wonderful, right? Well, you know, huzzah. Huzzah. But then, like, 13 years later, the Second Galactic Civil War happens. Wait, they had a civil war? Another one. Does this galaxy, like, ever not have a war? Because the Corellians, like Han Solo's people, decided to secede from the Galactic Alliance. (laughs) Screw you guys, we're all gonna go build sky houses. Sky houses. (laughs) And the twins are 31 years old, and they're on opposite sides of the conflict. (gasps) Oh. Yeah. So one of them's like, yeah, sky houses rule. And one of them's like, you can't leave just because of sky houses. Yeah, yeah. Jaina was on the side of the Galactic Alliance, and Jason was on his dad's side, the the Corellians. <gasps> what side was Leia on? I mean, the, she's like a uh, like the prime minister. Basically. So obviously the Galactic Alliance. Yeah, of this course. is tearing their family apart. So Jason, he really wanted to bolster his his side. He wanted to gain some power. So he trained in the Force under someone named Lumia. Turned out she was a Sith. Oh, isn't that always the way? Oops. So he became Darth Cadus. Cadus? Darth Cadus. C-A-E-D-U-S. Again, a name probably some hippie parent gave I was gonna, That's exactly what I was going to say. It sounds like Caden. So he wasn't... Caden and his brother Cadus. So he wasn't like entirely lying to the Yuuzhan Vong about embracing his dark side. He was kind of into it. He kind of became disillusioned with the whole light side, dark side dichotomy and kind of became like... I mean, I think they got a lot of the idea for Kylo Ren's sort of turn. Yeah. From, from yeah. Jason's whole bit because he kind of kind of gives up on the whole light side, dark side dichotomy and says, I'm going to make my own future. I'm going to make my own way of following the force. My own philosophy. You know why Jason went bad? Why? 
Because he didn't play sports. He didn't play sports. He was, he was a little fat kid. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't toss the pigskin. Yeah. The big man never had the rock. So Jaina finds out about this, and she's, she's like, devastated, obviously. And so yeah. she goes to find training, and she asks her dad, like, who should, I, who should I train with? Like, and he sends her to this little old man named Boba Fett. <gasps> Wait, what? Yeah. Boba Fett? Yeah, so Jaina trained no. with Boba Fett. <laughs> Wait, Boba Fett is bad, like... He and Han Solo don't have a good history together. They're ex-enemies, but now they're allies under the Galactic Alliance. And so she goes to train under Boba Fett and learn, like, cool strategies. And also, he spars with her with a lightsaber for some reason. Boba Fett doesn't use a lightsaber! But in this story, he does. What? That doesn't make it... He should, if anything, he should be teaching her how to shoot a blaster. Yeah. And how to call people da. And how to fall into a Sarlacc yeah, 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 exactly. So I don't How to know get why. like super overhyped for what little he actually does. Again, I'm I'm glazing over a lot of little like battles and, and encounters and stuff because it's so long and so mind-boggling to someone who hasn't read all this stuff. Yeah. But eventually, Darth Cadus and Jaina finally meet in a duel aboard the Anakin Solo, which is the battle cruiser named after the little brother. Cool. Very symbolic, right? They fight and Jason is killed. Jason! Jaina feels that, that that twin bond they had snuff out, and it's very dramatic. God. Yeah. I wonder if it hurts when the twin bond snuffs out. Well, probably, yeah. They were, like, force-linked, so... Like, do you think it hurt, physically hurt Leia when Luke became one with the... Maybe because he became one with the force, maybe it didn't hurt as much, but maybe if you were, like, straight-up murdered... Yeah. Maybe it hurts. Maybe. I feel like that'd be poetic. I mean, you saw in, in episode three... When all the Jedi's are getting killed by Order sixty six, yeah, you would have like kind of like almost exactly, it's like, kind of like a little oh, stroke sort of thing, right? Ugh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Jaina's the only surviving solo kid. She goes on to do important Jedi things and become a Jedi Master. Cool. She hangs out with her uncle Luke, and they hunt down a weird, formless alien god called the Abeloth. The Abeloth, a very, very Lovecraftian a super story. Super Lovecraftian. There's this thing called the Swarm War, where like these bug people that were native to Alderaan come back, and they're all crazy, and they want to take over the galaxy. And then she fights in that. Uh, she lives a long life. She gets married. She has 2.5 kids. Gets a nice sky house. The white picket sky I feel fence. Feel bad for the 0.5 kid. I'm just joking. The one who's just half a kid. That's I'm nice. just joking. No, no, no. Beautiful sky house. No 2.5 kids because before that could happen, Disney bought Star Wars. Oh no. So that's where her story ends. So Jaina is not around any longer. They did make an action figure of her in 2016. They did? They did, by fan request. Oh, really? Everyone said, we want a Jaina figure. Did you get it? I don't have it. No, I don't, I, I don't collect Star Wars toys anymore. <laughs> anymore. You yeah. have to add that qualifier when, on when that. I have, I've seen you. When we first started dating, I went in your room, and it was like the most Star Wars dolls I've ever seen in my life. That's kind of a brief overview of the Solo kids. Kind of kind of like a little little tragic, little little like the children of Hurin. Yeah. A little bit of ups and downs. What's and extra tragic is that they've been lost to history. They've been written over. Written over. I mean, I like Ben Solo. I think he's a very interesting character. And like you said, he's kind of similar to Jason. They kind of took some Jason elements, right? Like he was probably chubby as a kid and didn't play sports. Oh, and, absolutely. And then he got really into bodybuilding, and now he's like the width of a barn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got some wide shoulders. You know, don't forget about those solo kids. Ben might be the new hotness, but don't forget about Jaina, Jason, and Anakin. I, uh, t- who? Oh. What were you talking about? Uh, Ikrit. All right, cool. He's cute. He's cute. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks. As per usual. Um, So, we're still on Facebook and Twitter at What's Lightsabers Precious. Mm-hmm. Um, we got, like, you know, several new followers um, on the Facebook page recently, so thank you for that. Yeah. Many, many. Thank Hope you, thank you. Hope you're listening to the show, too. You know, the Facebook's good, but I think the show's better. 
I would ver- I would venture to say, well, from my perspective. Yeah. And you can also reach us at what's lightsabers precious at gmail.com. You can rate and review us on the podcast app on your iPhone. Yes. We are still playing more Jub Jub Adventures on Mondays on Twitch TV slash RPG Buddies around like 7 o'clock. But our old episodes are up as well. So if you like that sort of thing, listen up. That, yeah, that's about it. That about covers it. So we'll see you all next week. And thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.